in the Finley Toyota Studio on ESPN Las Vegas. Finley Toyota Studios, also Laramie, Wyoming, courtside here at the AA, Steve Cofield. Adam Hill and Damon are back in Las Vegas. Uh, full show today, actually a little abbreviated. Running Rebel warm-up will go down at 5.30. Running Rebel warm-up with John Sandler and Curtis Terry, 5.30. 6 o'clock tip, so a little earlier today, but we're all set up here getting ready for the game. Should be an interesting one. UNLV is a pretty healthy favorite in this one. Is expected to win, but, you know, when you're expected to win, oftentimes if focus isn't there, you can lose, and this is an interesting place to play. I have no idea who's going to show up tonight. Sometimes it's really quiet here. It's been a couple of times when there's been really good crowds here. Adam Hill, what's going on, buddy? Not much. Big game for the Rebs, for sure. And uh, it, every time they win, you start to think back and say, man, those games that got away, th- some through officiating, some through a lack of execution, uh, they should be in first place right now in the division or in the conference, and uh, they're not, and it's a really good conference. And uh, to be in a position where you should be in first place, is pretty wild for a team that started where they started. Uh, been a good season, could have been a great season, and uh, they just have to keep winning. This is very interesting, and I understand the end, you just kind of qualified it. The what-if stuff is after every game. Yeah. And that can be frustrating, but at this point, like they can't do anything about it. Uh, now the mission at hand, like you said, they have to win. I think they have to win out, and maybe a trip to the finals could get them close enough to get in that large, but maybe not. We'll see what the numbers what happens with the numbers? First of all, they got to win this. They got to win at Reno. They got to upset San Diego State at home, and then we'll see where the number goes from there. I didn't check today on the net. I know yesterday was 81, but you've also got six teams inside of the top 50, so there's plenty of room to move up. And then with the Mountain West Conference tournament, even more room to move up. But uh, yeah, they're behind the eight ball, but at least they've put themselves back in a position. Because I know you, for the most part, I'm not going to say you believe that. At some point when it's uh, win the conference title or else, that's the way to get in, that the games don't matter leading up to it. I think they do matter in terms of making sure that you're peaking and you're working out the kinks. And they've had a lot of kinks this year. They've also had, you know, kind of up and down with some players. Uh, Last game I thought was really interesting where at the end of the game, they're like, hey, right now Caleb Boone is not ready to be out there, so let's go to Cottrell. And he came through. So it's it's been a a wild season here. And – I still don't think I still don't think from a consistency standpoint they're where they could be in two weeks. Yeah, and where they need to be. Yeah, I, I mean I think they, that there is room to grow, which is good. Yep. Uh, because you want you want to have yourselves in a position to get better than you already are, and right now they're good. I mean, look, I, I don't think there's a team that you look at on paper and say they couldn't beat them here at the Thomas Mack Center to try to win in the conference. I, I think that's very possible. They've been very good on the road. Yeah. They've shown that they can you know beat pretty much anyone and. Um, that is more of a neutral environment than a home environment, even though it's in their home gym. So um, they've they've showed that they can win those games. Now they do want to show that they can win close games. They want to show that they can, I guess, not be in a position to get, you know, when you get kind of screwed by a call, it's, well, you should have been up by more at that time. Well, I, I, I mean, I guess. So maybe they can turn some of those games that they're up by three or four into six or seven or eight and, and try to win that way. But, yeah, it's, it, it's always going to be a game of what ifs because of how some of those games went. But um, they've – put themselves in a position to you know get where they want to get. So it's kind of interesting, the setup to this game. A little bit of spice thrown on top. Wyoming coach Jeff Linder does his coach's show every Monday night, I think. Right? I know Kruger has to bounce around because of the, the midweek schedule, whether the game is on Tuesday or Wednesday. So he does his show at a place called the Rib and Chop House, which I think is a pretty decent-sized chain in this area. 
right? In Colorado as well, Adam? Uh, pretty, sure. Pretty sure I've seen it in, uh, in, in all of the cities. I'm surprised he doesn't do it at Love's Truck Stop. I think that's the big hot spot in Laramie. <laughs> well, they, I, I noticed the, the uh, second sponsor on the show was a liquor store, so that's kind of cool. Okay. Um, but he's at this ribbon chop house, and they're doing the opponent look ahead. So they're talking UNLV. The host says, well, the last time he played it was 62-48, so you, you, know, you held him down pretty good. And here's what Jeff Linder, the Wyoming coach, had to say. Yeah, obviously at third place, we missed a lot of open shots in that game, but obviously it's a make-or-miss game. But they got a lot of talent, and, um, you know, there's, there's, there's a lot of money on that floor, yeah. um, <laughs> for lack of a better word. Um. <laughs> okay. Adam, what's he referencing? Uh, well, I guess players that they brought in that they've had. I mean, I feel like it's less than in the past when it w- wasn't allowed. Um, but uh, it's something cl- clearly they talked about off the air and they talked about with the fans that were there because everybody was kind of re- – before he even said it, everybody already started laughing. Right. So this is something they clearly talked about before they went on with the fans in attendance too. And then he decided to bring it to the – I'm sure he b- talked about it in a much more open way off the air and then decided to kind of – Right. Soft pedal into it on the air, and then everybody couldn't, kind of understood. I'll say he couldn't contain himself. Right. Yeah. Interesting. Is it his business? Does that come off as kind of whiny? Um, is this the kind of stuff no. that stays behind the scenes? Or, you know, I guess Jim Beheim did it a couple of years ago when he was complaining that Miami had purchased a lot of its roster. Is there anything wrong with calling it out? Should UNLV fan, uh, no. fans be mad? I don't think so. No. Look, the, when. UNLV, I'm sure, went and I look. I did this to some of my Kansas fans when Yale had a lead at Kansas late and was able it didn't quite come through. And I said, look, it's to have to compete at that level with the budget discrepancy that is on the floor. That's incredible. Like you should right. be proud if you're able to compete with a team that spends that much money. I don't know that UNLV is light years ahead of some of the other teams in the Mountain West Conference, but um, yeah, like if UNLV played Kansas in the tournament. I'm sure UNLV fans would be like, hey, look, they're spending a ton of money. Like that That's tough to compete with. And it's also a challenge, I think, Linder to his fans. Like, hey, you want good players? Pay. Well, I don't know if it's to the fans. I mean, the fans can take part in it a little bit. You know, UNLV's got their uh, one collective, UNILV, that right now you can go up and contribute money at friends at UNLV.com. Uh, and get into the $150,000 half-court shootout, which is going on in the San Diego State game. And for that, you get either uh, food credit or play credit at the Palms. So the Palms is backing it. Um, Adam, I don't think, speaks well repping the fans because you expect common sense. And I'm not saying, Damon, that you're not smart because you're incredibly smart. But when you heard this, what do you think? That he's jealous. They hate us because they ain't us. That's all it is, Steve. Where, where teams lose and they're at the bottom of the conference, they've got to find ways to try to make themselves feel good for why they aren't as good as other teams. I get it. You know, he's right. trying to compensate. But, you know, and they, he got a good laugh with that crowd there, you know, all 12 of them. They had a good laugh about it. But UNLV, for, for, there's a lot of money out there on that court. For UNLV to be, let's say, top five in the conference, for him to be complaining about UNLV, when I think that there are other teams that, you know, are more experienced. New Mexico spends, San Diego State spends, Boise is very open about 
spending. Where are they? Um, where are they in the conference? They're near the top. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. exactly. <laughs> well, but I think there, there's a there's a big discussion going back ten years whether it was NIL or uh, just benefits. What the money has gotten UNLV? Sure. Because Brian Dutcher was on the other day, and I think Dutcher was going down a path. I'm not exactly sure who he was calling out, but listen to Brian Dutcher last week. I asked him if he liked NIL, and I assumed he did, the way he layers his team, and I know they have money. Uh, but he also made a comment about you know putting the right guys together. No, I like NIL, and I wish I had more of it. You know, okay. but <laughs> yeah. you have what you have. You know, every program yeah. is a different amount. But I think what you'll see too is even the teams with all the NIL that doesn't equal success. You have to have the right people in your program and, and, and about the right things that fit your model. And, and just because you have more money doesn't mean you're going to have better players or a better chemistry. And I think we can see this this year. Some of these teams with uh, uh, deep pockets NIL-wise are not having success on the floor. And I like that, too. You still have to make good decisions as to who you have on your team. Was Dutcher going after UNLV, or do you think other targets in, say, the top – well – that were expected to be in the top twenty. Well, I think it's I think it's a lot of people. It's a lot of teams around the country. It's it's. I mean, he's basically just laying out what the argument is for teams that do that are haves. Like, if you're a have, you say, look, the money isn't everything. It, the money will help you. It'll, it'll get you into doors you might not otherwise get you into. But you still have to you know construct a roster well and and find chemistry and coach those guys when you get there. And if you're a have not, you say, well. The money is what opens those doors. We need to get that money to open those doors. So I mean, it's it's the 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 cycle. If you're a have, you're going to say money's not everything, and that that's what he's saying. Right. I do think he's. And by the way, just just to know, I mean, look, everybody knows I'm I'm from Ann Arbor. I'm a Michigan fan. That's where Brian Dutcher got his big break right. as the associate head coach of Michigan. Like his, I believe was was the Fab Five like his first or second recruiting class, like. <laughs> so he jumped. He jumped right into the fray from the get-go. Of course, and and again, yeah. I, he's not saying it's it's wrong either. He's saying, look, it's going to get you in the doors, get, get you good players, but you still need to coach those players, which is what happened at Michigan. Actually, I don't mind it as much from Linder. Uh, I mean, he's he's also fresh off losing Gray Mike to Gonzaga, and we know Gonzaga from a money standpoint, uh, going back to when it wasn't legal, and now that it is above board, has been. Uh, has had a budget, right, uh, over the years to to beat out Pac-12 schools. And in the case of uh, Chet Holmgren, beat out a bunch of Big Ten schools. Um, so I don't mind Linder saying it. It, it. it rubs me the wrong way when it's Dutcher because, like last year, there was a there was sort of a public open war uh, after Morris Udeze selected New Mexico over UNLV and over San Diego State, um, as he often does. Dutcher used Mark Ziegler at the Union Tribune as a mouthpiece, and some of the stuff out there about Udeze was released publicly. That well, they just they couldn't spend enough to get him. So, like when you lose, because there's also times they're beating people out. Like when you lose in those battles, I don't, I, I, I will not accept the whining at that point. Yeah, well, he, I mean, he said he wishes he had more. Right, right in that in that comment. Like, I don't think he's he's ripping on NIL or anything else. He's He's saying it's good. Like the more money you have, right. the the more doors it's going to open for you. But like I said, he he's gotten he's gotten on other schools in the past, and you're right. We can, I guess, we can sort of mask this as a call out to your people that we need more money. Um, it worked for Ryan Day, so but <laughs> yeah, I 
I don't know. The, the, the whining gets a, a little bit incessant, and everyone tends to do it. But they don't do it publicly like Dutcher uh, did last year through uh, Ziegler and how uh, Linder just did. Uh, on the way back, we're going to have Curtis Terry as uh, he's with us here at the set in uh, Laramie. We'll get a little more preview of the game. we got Josh Jacobs' news, or at least rumors, and we got more of those likely reports to judge the, coming from Adam Schefter. Whaley, who now, you know, 6'5", but when you see him tomorrow, I mean, he looks, I mean, he's 6'5", and all 260, and probably about 5% body fat, um, plays a lot taller than he is, and then you got the other Boone inside at 6'10", so they got a lot of size and length and athleticism. Coach Kruger's done a good job of, you know, they keep things really simple, but they play to their strengths, and, and probably what you see defensively is that their their discipline and effort is at another level than probably what it's been in years past. And Welcome back to Cofield & Company on ESPN Las Vegas. Back here live at our set in Laramie, Wyoming. Laradice, a little snow overnight. Curtis Terry, uh, one of the voices of the Rebels. Of course, a former Rebel is here with us as we're going to break down the game tonight, which is a 6 o'clock tip. On the way back here, uh, Jeff Linder, the coach of the Cowboys, talking about Rob Whaley. He's made an impression. He was talking about just how big and powerful he is at you know, 6'5 and 260. Yeah, man. I mean, Rob's his physical frame speaks for itself. I mean, he's got, he's got great size, um, obviously great strength. He's... And he's got just really light feet. I mean, he's very athletic. He's very agile for a size for a guy that size. I mean, you think he almost should be should be playing for Coach Barry Odom on the football team. Now I'm at UNLV, but I mean, but his just his his footwork, his ability to move, obviously his ability to get off the ground and elevate. Um, I mean, the kid really does it all, and he's he's just learning the game. And so, I, and I was talking to, to Coach uh, Long Kruger about this at practice the other day. Just think if this kid has a full spring and summer leading into. A preseason. I mean, just the, the steps that he's going to be able to take and the strides he's going to be making in, in terms of growing his game. But but what he's doing right now is not nothing short of remarkable because uh, the kids came on strong as of late. So the Rebels are playing really good basketball. They've won seven of eight. I think they're starting to come together. They're mostly healthy aside from Jalen Hill going down with the ACL. So the results have been pretty clear, and they've got an identity now, a real physical team and real good switching on defense and have a big uh, wing and Lou Rod, and we'll get into all this, playing the point guard on the other side for much of the game. Jeff Linder did his local coaches show uh, right up the road at a rib and chop house, and I thought his comments here on what happened last time, and he quickly transitions to some odd mention of how the UNLV roster has been put together. Yeah, obviously at their place, we missed a lot of open shots in that game, but obviously it's a make-or-miss game, but they got a lot of talent, and, um, you know, there's 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 a lot of money on that floor. Yeah. Um, <laughs> to, for lack of a better word. Um. <laughs> okay, that's interesting. That's the kind of stuff you hear behind the scenes. Jeff Linder pointing out that there's a lot of money on the floor for the Rebels. Your thoughts as a guy who covers the program and a UNLV grad? I mean, I'll start by by, by his first comment about they missed a lot of shots. I mean, obviously they did. Um, I think the Rebels held him to 16% from three, but I think that was more so really, really good defense in limiting what their guards could do, and their guards is what makes that team go. Um, to the second comment, I don't even know if that's considered a low blow or just, just classless because that's the nature of college athletics these days. So I don't know if you're, if you're knocking UNLV for having built to, and put together a good NIL program or if you're knocking yourself for your own university, not putting together a good NIL program. Um, but I think it's well known that especially in Laramie, they've got great support. Um, they've got great resources here. And so I think you could be able to build it for yourself as well. That's a great point, actually. I didn't even think of the other side if that were him making a plea to the market to back him. But here's the problem. They have great resources, as far as I know, for football. And now football's got a new coach, but I think the backers back Craig Bowl 
you know how you get backed? You got to win. You got to be consistent. We saw it at the end of Jim Beheim's tenure when he was complaining. Oh, Miami bought their whole roster. Jim, your people won't buy you the roster anymore because you don't produce results. And maybe that's what's happening to Jeff Linder. The results just haven't been that good. Last year was some weird mass exodus where a bunch of players bolted. Right. I mean, after they make that tournament with Graham E.K. and Maldonado and all those guys, I mean, you do lose the majority of your team in, in what you thought was going to be able to come back and kind of build, build something and, and sustain some success. But that, that could be the problem. I mean, and you almost see it. I mean, at UNLV, there's a lot of people clamoring about Coach Barry Odom and, and what he did, obviously what Coach Arroyo did, and they got all the money in from the Fertitas and the new complex and Coach Sanchez. But then you talk about, um, I mean, NIL program, that's how you keep guys around. That's how you get transfers. But at the end of the day, you got to be able to win games. If you win games, then people will back you. It's kind of like if you build it, they will come. Well, if you win games, that will help you build it, then they will come. And so uh, I, think it, I think it was just – I hope it was a way to, to try to say, hey, this is what you can do if you put money into it and you can win. But at the same time, maybe you need to do that here. But regardless, you still have to go out there and develop your players and come out there and put together a game plan and execute and play. I don't believe that it was a play. I believe that there are coaches all around the country who don't have NIL and look at other rosters and they're jealous and they'll say it out loud that, hey, you know, they bought a lot of their team. Well, it's all about board now. Right. And I don't think that UNLV should have to apologize for trying to keep up with the Joneses to a certain extent in this new system. No, but then I think there's also teams across the country that you go out there and do that, but they don't win. So I think it's, it's a very slippery slope. You've got to be able to go out there. You've got to be able to, to not only get the backing and have the financial support for your NIL and, and for everything that you're doing, but then you've got to go out there and have the guys that can play. And you've got to have the guys that are mature enough to be able to say, hey, I'm getting this money, but then that means I have a responsibility to back up and play it. Um, and I think Coach Kevin Kruger and his staff have done a really good job. And I think it goes to show what Coach Kruger and his staff have done over the last three years to rebuild their roster every year out of the transfer portal to be able to sustain and have success. And now it's – especially as of late, it's coming to fruition, winning seven of eight and, and being a game and a half out of first place in the conference. Uh, one last thing off the comments by Jeff Linder on his coach's show. We had Brian Dutcher on last week, the San Diego State head coach on ESPN Las Vegas on Cofield and Company, and he actually made a comment about NIL because I said, I think you like NIL. It's always the way you structured your team, and now you can do it above board. And he said, yeah, I like it, and I like the fact that there are schools out there that are spending a lot of money and getting less than great results. I don't think that was a shot at UNLV, even though he was on a Las Vegas radio station. I'm guessing that may have been pointed more towards – a UCLA or a USC right up the road uh, because Dutcher's point was you can spend the money, but if you don't get the right guys and you can't develop chemistry, then you can have all the money in the world. It doesn't work. Yeah, I would, me personally, without knowing, I mean, obviously there's context and knowing what exactly what he's referring to, I wouldn't think he's talking about UNLV. I would say, because I don't think UNLV really recruits the same players that San Diego State does, but I, I definitely know they recruit the same guys that USC and UCLA do. Um, and so, and, and they've clearly got the budgets Um in the L in LA to be able to, to put some some athletes on the court um, and they haven't had the success especially as of this year especially with USC and UCLA so I think that was more directed towards them um, but you got to make do with what you get it's kind of like you're, you got to play the hand that you're dealt and, and so I think obviously Coach Dutch is doing a great job I think Kevin's doing a great job but again when you have success I think that's just going to get you more more monopoly money so to say to play with and hopefully build your program and to be able to do more things we do have to point out though San Diego State. And UNLV did go head-to-head on a couple of Vegas players in Taj Duggerville and Farrell Compton. So mm-hmm. in those cases, uh, San Diego State appeared to have plenty of NIL money. So if we hear anything from Dutcher on that front with regards directly to UNLV, uh, chill, man. You're competing, and he's competing with New Mexico right. and other schools that have a budget. Boise's got a budget. They're very public with their NIL work. All right, so that first game, uh, Linder said we missed a lot of shots. It was 62-48. I wanted to ask you, going back on that game, 
why did it appear that UNLV, even though they got a 14-point win, kind of never got in a great offensive flow? Like Wyoming actually limited them pretty good. You know, I think they were still kind of figuring out. This was before this stretch really started. I mean, this was I think this was their third straight win. This was this game. Um, and I think they were kind of figuring out where they were because Justin Webster had just went down, I mean, a game and a half before that. Um, and so then you, you kind of re, reconfigure your lineup and what you're trying to do. But I think – um, they they had stretches. Where I think they were up by 23 or 24 at one point in the second half. I mean, so they put together some really good stretches. But on the flip side of it, they held a team that scores almost 73 points a game but only 48. They limited them 16% from three. I give this team a lot of credit for what they're doing offensively and being able to make plays in crunch time. But more so, what they're doing defensively is, I mean, it's remarkable. And the fact that they're able to, like you said, switch, guard multiple guys, change up their defenses. Last game, they threw a little 1-3-1 out there. So they're doing a lot of different things to keep teams on their toes. Um, and at the end of the game, they're holding teams below their averages across the board. And so that's that's how you get wins. And, and they've got guys, whether it's DJ, whether it's Luis, throw it inside to, to Caleb, throw it inside to Rob. Um, or let Keelan do his thing on the wing. You've got guys that you can throw to and say, go get us a bucket. And early in the season, they didn't really have that. I thought in the first game that that initial look with 6'5", Luis Rodriguez, then down to Didon, then to Jackie Johnson at 5'11", then maybe back up to 6'3", 6'4", Brooklyn Hicks. I thought it completely jacked up Sam Griffin. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think part of it is he's getting tired as the season's going right. along. You can see he and Cot, the production's going down. They play a lot of minutes. But that can that can be taxing, right? I mean, you, you handle the ball, but um, when I got you're getting a different look all the time. And you, you have to play different size players different right. ways. Yeah, I mean, it's it goes without saying. I mean, what what Wyoming does and how they are going to be led, it's and it's pretty much been like this. I mean, for the last I mean, 15, 20 years here in Laramie with their basketball program, it's led by their guards. Their guards are going to be the ones that make them go. Um, and those those two guys started the year really hot and doing some really good things. But you're gonna they're gonna wear down, and they have to carry the load every night for this team. And I think it's it's a matter of that. But then you mentioned if you've got to get picked up full court by Luis, who's big and physical, or Jackie, who's small and lightning quick, um, or Brooklyn Hicks is probably the all-around best athlete on the team that is super fast, super strong, is long and rangy. I mean, you're getting something different every time, and so you can't get into a rhythm because every time you get an outlet or you look to, to get space to get the sideline, get an outlet, you look up, you don't know who's going to be guarding you. There might be someone in your jockstrap. There might be someone backed off. So you've got to really figure out how to attack that, and I think that causes some mental struggles um, as a point guard because that's the hardest part is getting – the ball up the floor and getting your offense initiated. And if you can't do that cleanly, you're going to struggle. Curtis Terry is with us at ESPN Las Vegas uh, at the set here in Laramie. Tip-off at 6 o'clock on ESPN Las Vegas. Running Rebel warm-up goes at 5.30. I still think offensively there's plenty of room for improvement. I think uh, – well, I'm hopeful there is improvement. I, I really think one of the key guys is Caleb Boone. Because right now he's become a little bit unpredictable mm-hmm. in terms of what he's going to do when he gets the ball and he's doubled. And the dribbling stuff, the – the league has figured out, like, if he wants to take five or six seconds to make a move, it's probably not going to happen because everyone's coming in and slapping at him. Yeah, and I think you made the point uh, at the last game is when he catches the ball, he's being patient in terms of seeing that double team, which is great. So that way he can see where it's coming and make the right play. The one thing that I think this is going to be a struggle, and it definitely was in the last game, is when he catches too far off of the block, you can see the double coming. They have farther to come to double you, but then also you have further to attack to get into your scoring zone. And so when he has to take three, four, five dribbles, that's when he's usually having some troubles. They're getting there. They're slapping down. They're getting deflections, and he's unsure of where to go to make that next play. So if he can establish deeper position, maybe a step off the block to catch, you're gonna, they're going to double quicker, but I think he'll also have a chance to attack quicker and be able to score to finish and score more effectively. Um, 
but he's made such strides. I mean, since the game when they really started double-teaming him at Colorado State that first time, that second half, he didn't know what to do. He was a deer in headlights. But since then, he's been able to make really good plays. He's absorbing it, stepping through. And so I think he's getting better. But the thing that makes it easier is you can't help off as many other guys now because guys are starting to feel more confidence in stepping up and making plays. Well, and it was comforting in the last game that with uh, Whaley down and Caleb kind of playing out of sorts so they could still go to the bench and Cottrell still has something left. And he came yeah. in and had some intent and uh, – I thought the other big key, and I think it's going to be the key down the stretch. It's going to be key in the Reno game. It's going to be key in the San Diego State game. Nothing at the rim on defense can go unchallenged. I thought they challenged so hard against yeah. Colorado State. Like Joel Scott and uh, Cartier, it looked like had layups and you know easy tip-ins and finger rolls, and nothing worked for them because guys were active. Yeah, and that's the biggest thing. And you got to give Isaiah Cottrell credit because his, his minutes have been inconsistent and up and down. I mean, obviously he started the season starting, um, came off the bench, played minutes. I mean, there was a game where he missed a game because of a, of a foot injury. Um, but I think since then it's been up and down. But the fact that he was pushed into that lineup when Rob went down and played, I mean, 10 really good minutes late in that game to deflect, um, to defend, uh, to get extra opportunities offensively for his team, I mean, that just goes to show that the kids, he's still invested and hasn't kind of checked out. But you're going to need everybody throughout this roster the rest of the way to make the run that they want to make. Um, but it does – you have to contest everything at the rim, especially against the teams like you mentioned in finishing a conference. You have to, especially if you're going to be in foul trouble. Um, and it almost goes to show, like, one thing I say is, like, Luis Rodriguez, his activity on the defensive boards is something that can't go just, just unregarded because – He's being active. He's getting a deflection and tipping away from somebody so they can get that possession and not give up on a second-chance opportunity. So, like, those types of plays, when Keelan flies in, when Ice is there and gets a deflection, the little things are what's going to help win this ball game. And on the course of the season, you've seen a lot of times the little things are what lost a couple, this team a couple ball games. Wyoming's right around 500 in the conference. There are no pushover up here. It'll probably be a quiet gym. It's, it's a challenge, but it's a game that UNLV can't afford to lose because tonight around the conference, uh, Boise's at Air Force, Utah State is at Fresno, uh, San Diego State hosts San Jose State. I don't see an upset in that group, although we just had Air Force knock off New Mexico. So those teams are going to keep winning. Um, and then a very key game right in that range where UNLV is. What do you think happens with Nevada on the road at Colorado State and obviously CSU coming off the loss against UNLV? Man, I, I mean, I don't know what's going to happen because you can't really – you can't predict anything with this conference. I mean, Air Force going down uh, to the pit the other day and getting a win. Um, obviously, I know what I want to happen. You, you want UNLV to be able to keep continue to climb these ranks. Um, but the one thing I do know is, is, is we'll see kind of what happens in those cases. And I guess it's, it's almost good that the Rebels kind of play the early game in those situations so you can see what kind of plays out afterwards. But the Rebels have been really, really good on the road, and surprisingly so because this team is it's, – it's not put together to, to kind of win that way when you look at it on paper. But these guys get better when they go on the road. And I don't know if it's kind of that, that bunker mentality, but these guys enjoy getting along. Now, they go on the road. They have fun. They relax. Um, but they're a tighter unit when they go into these environments, whether it's a hostile environment or whether it's, I mean, a, it's a funeral home environment where it's just it's deadly silent. But they figure out a way to win and they make enough plays and they've just become a really tough, resilient group. Um, so I'm excited to see what they do. But but hopefully they can get some help and have someone else in the conference knock off somebody so they can keep climbing the ladder. All right, Curtis, good job. There he is. Curtis Terry, as we have the, uh, we have the game coming up at six o'clock, Wyoming hosting your running rebels on the way back. We're going to get into the uh, latest with Josh Jacobs. It's Cofield and Company on ESPN Las Vegas. Laradice on a Tuesday. Tuesday's better here than Mondays, Adam Hill. Why is that? I think more is open, and I think 
the second Uber driver in the city works on Tuesdays, not Monday. Okay, that's good. Yeah. Uh, this place is amazing in terms of getting around town. If you are a visitor, you are hoofing it. And if it's 18 degrees, you are hoofing it. Is it 18 degrees? It's 18 degrees. It snowed overnight. It's not hellish, but then the wind kicks up. So I don't know what the wind chill is. And again, not complaining, just giving you a take. Or some things that happened on the road. Uh, last night, Adam Hill, we went out to a local watering hole in the downtown area. That closed at about 10. We walked to another place, very cool, very old school. We're there for 45 minutes. We're like, ah, let's go. Tried to look for a little ride share. Tried for an hour. Nothing. It's not the most surprising thing. Um, well, I think if people haven't been here, they'd be – I mean, rideshare is pretty widespread now and commonplace in most cities around the country. You would certainly assume where a somewhat major university is, but that's a story here. So uh, I think we were a mile and three quarters from where we needed to be, and uh, we did have to hoof it. Well, there's a key to what you said. It's, yeah. it's you know, it's widespread in cities. Yeah. It's not a city. It's a, it's no. a town. Uh, I will tell you, last night, my full-throated defense of Wyoming being included in whatever attempt that Wazoo and Oregon State put together to get back into a Power 5 with a, a new Pac-12, I don't know, man. That could be a negative. Of right? Course. You can't fly here, and then when you get here, you can't get around. Yeah. No, I mean, every, everybody's always known that that was trolling on your part. Nobody's ever believed it's not, it's not, that you it's, it's not respect trolling. Wyoming or the city. Or no, I do. I actually, I respect. I don't love coming here because it's too small. It but And that's a factor for other people. I do think they are backed well with their football program. Yeah, but it's an awful place. Um, Not the perfect place. I'm not going to call it an awful, awful. place. And I, and, I, and I wasn't trolling, and I'm not trolling when I back um, – Reno either, and that fight to see what happens with a Mountain West Conference, you know, combo with the Pac-2 and then whoever, some AAC schools. I think that Gloria Navarro needs to fight as much as she can for um, most, if not all, of the institutions in the Mountain West. Yeah, they can they can keep Wyoming out of it. It's fine. So we got some reporting yesterday from – Adam Schefter, and I, I made the comment, I'm not really sure what the reports are now because a lot of NFL insiders are putting out news that say it's likely that this happens, which I think gives you kind of the escape hatch. Like, hey, let's start the discussion, but if it doesn't happen, well, I said likely. Well, it's also, just to be fair, like it's also you can't make the decision yet. So you, you can report like it's likely to happen. Like you've seen some guys likely to be released because well, they can't do it yet. Uh, there's things like that where I I understand why the reporting is reporting because you have can, you put out have you put out a note about franchise tags or a tag with the Raiders and said Josh Jacobs is likely to not be tagged. Well, I think he is likely to not be tagged. Okay, I, like I don't think they're going to tag him. Right. Um, and I don't think any of these guys are going to be tagged. But they you, could you think sign. now reacting to the reports, a lot of organizations and GMs are like, "Wait a second, it's still a possibility." No, I think I think the other 
yes, to some degree, but I think the bigger part is when you see a report that says this guy is not likely to be tagged, everybody jumps to that meaning this guy is not likely to be on the team, which is two completely different topics. Because they could still work out a deal. They could still do a deal. And if they're a free agent, they could still sign. <laughs> Even if they hit free agency, they could still sign with the team. Like, those, those things are possible. Like, that, that is two completely different topics, whether they're tagged or whether they're on the team. So like, All right, so what's going on with Jacobs now? What do you think? It doesn't look like he's going to be tagged. Uh, that's something that doesn't it doesn't appear likely. Uh, but it sounds like the team is open to at least talking to him and negotiating with him and potentially signing him uh, to a contract. And we'll see how that goes. Now, I think Josh Jacobs would say, I'm going to make a ton of money on the open market, but I don't know if that's the case either. The benefit that Josh Jacobs and some other guys have is in the last few days, we have learned that the salary cap jumped significantly. Many of these teams, when they made these decisions and probably talked to these reporters, were operating on the assumption the cap was going to jump to about 241 to $243 million. That was kind of what it was looked on paper, said, okay, based on where the projections are probably going to fall, the cap's probably going to be like 241 or 243 And then it came out at 255 which then changes the entire equation. Because then you start to say, wait, we weren't going to tag this guy, but is $12 million actually a deal? So everybody has to go back into the into their math room and basically start working out like, okay, if the cap is this much higher, it's $14 million higher than we expected it to be, is $12 million that would cost on a tag for some of these running backs, is it actually less than they're going to make? Because we thought they'd make around eight, but maybe they would make 13 or 14 and maybe a cap, maybe a tag does save us money. Maybe we have to reevaluate this. So yesterday I said that Two years, $16 million would be one of the better deals that a running back could get out there. So now maybe two years, $20 million guaranteed? And, and, and maybe more. If, you, the, look at, if you look at the cap jumping, jumping $14 million, I mean, that's, you know, say a million or $2 million per like position group. Like maybe, or maybe that's, hey, we're going to spend what we're going to spend everywhere else, but maybe running backs benefit the most from this because it's a huge running back market. Um, I don't know. I, I don't expect teams to still – you know, run to spend money on high-end free agent running backs. But, but, but I will say on the on the flip side, I do not expect every organization to stay super disciplined when it comes to running backs. Yeah. I think a couple will still do sort of old-school deals and guarantee upwards of like $18 million and, and some sort of three-year contract. Yeah. I don't think all 32 owners and GMs and personnel people can control themselves to not pay – at least a couple of them will pay a bell cow. Yeah, and, and the other part of this is when we talk about the cap going up, you look at some teams, like, and I'll say right out, right out front there's an obvious one, the Chargers that we expected to be in a salary cap nightmare that now all of a sudden are not as, as much of, as, in as much of a nightmare as we expected that are probably likely to spend on a running back because that's what the Greg Roman, Jim Harbaugh system requires. Exactly. And so now you're looking at a team, okay, well, the Chargers – they can't they can't bid, they can't get in on this and drive the market up because they can't afford it. Well now they can. So now the market changes. We're giving away uh twenty twenty four dollars a day, two thousand twenty four dollars every day in March up until the twenty ninth. You gotta text in the code word of the day to seven oh two three six four eleven hundred. You can hit the jackpot with ESPN Las Vegas. Every day we're giving away a chance or qualifying someone for a chance to win twenty twenty four. The code word today is Frontier, like the uh, old casino, the Frontier. That's the code word. You want to text it right now. You want to do it before 5 o'clock. The contest is only open each day from 7A to 5P. 364-1100. Text it right now, the word Frontier.
It's Cofield and Company on ESPN Las Vegas. Good timing on the Doug update there. Adam, when Telesco said, I don't anticipate using the tag. What does that mean? Just on Jacobs or what is he saying? Yeah, I mean, that was the the most likely guy. Okay. Uh, that's probably their only real option uh, to use it on. And uh, they're not going to. So, I mean, well, again, he said, I don't anticipate using it mm-hmm. because the decision doesn't have to be made yet. So why? And as he said, why close the door on it? Do you think they have it? Well, this is stupid. I'm not even going to ask it that way. They must have a list of running back targets, right? They're not just going with what they have in house. There, there should be some bargains out there to build a running back room without having a guy up top making twelve to fifteen million. Sure, and I think they were very confident what Zamir White did in the games that Josh Jacobs was out. I mean, I, th- I thought actually Zamir White was more efficient than Josh Jacobs last year uh, in his in his usage. So um, I think they're confident. If Josh, if Zamir White is going to be the guy, uh, but as you said, like usually when this when you go into free agency, you see a bunch of guys sign right away, and then all of a sudden there's a ton of bargains out there. And if they can bring in another veteran to, you know, be a part of that room and be a part of the group, and especially somebody who Zamir White can catch the ball, but if you find somebody who's a real legitimate receiver, we know that Tom Telesco likes that, and uh, I think that would be beneficial. Demond, you sent over the news with the A's with regards to the injunction that may be filed from the NSEA. Yeah, why, was this, why was this titillating for you? Because I want to see where it goes. I don't know how many – I don't know if this has any legs to stand on, but the Nevada State Education Association, um, they're trying to sue the state Senate to overturn, you know, the money that we're giving the A's. Yep. So it's just good to see somebody doing something. <laughs> Saying it's unconstitutional. Uh, beyond that, Chris Daly, the Deputy Executive Director of Government Relations with the NSEA. That's a, a long note on a card. Um, he said, we're not relying on John Fisher's ineptitude to kill this deal. Right. He said, it doesn't hurt. Uh, when we finally kill the Tropicana deal, it will be a combination of these Oakland A's fans, which, by the way, he showed up at that big fan fest in Oakland over the weekend. He said it will be a combination of these Oakland A's fans, efforts at schools over stadiums and strong public schools, and John Fisher's ineptitude. Yeah, that's part of it. So they are, I mean, they are suing uh, to, to block this. What this is is another step in that of saying, look, I think it's clear on paper that this lawsuit at least has a chance of winning. Like the facts that have been presented show that there is at least a chance that this will win in court. So the next step would be to file an injunction to say, if you, the court, believes that this has a chance to win, you have to stop this right now. Not permanently, not make a ruling on who wins the lawsuit, but you have to stop any progress from being made on the stadium because you can't come back later if we're you know two years into the process and say, oh, you know what? You guys were right. This shouldn't have happened. It was it was unconstitutional. But we're already building the stadium. <laughs> so what are you going to do? So if there was going to be irreparable harm to what the outcome of the lawsuit would be, and the lawsuit has a reasonable chance of winning, the court then has the authority to step in and say, all right, look, it's at least delayed until this lawsuit is settled, which, again, could be years. And so if they are granted this injunction, which – 
for people that I've talked to, sounds like they very likely could be granted an injunction when they file it. Well, then everything stops. And that completely changes the plans for Major League Baseball in, in Las Vegas. I mean, good for these people pulling this together because beyond that, what's our defense against public servants who don't do the research on an investment or are just so juiced in for other reasons that they won't vote no? Which I think is clear with many of the yes votes here. They did not do research. They did not know uh, what they were buying into with Major League Baseball. And even worse, they didn't know what they were investing in in John Fisher. It's true. And and again, I, I will say they at least – I, I want to give them credit of saying they at least knew something. Because they did, unlike the other deal with the stadium, with the football stadium, <laughs> yes. they did put some things in. Yes. Including this only applies to this site, and you can't just change it and decide to go somewhere else with this money. Like you can't say, "Oh, we got a new site now. We're going to go over here." Like you have to at least build it in that exact site. And if you were to change it to say the festival grounds or the Rio property, you'd have to go in front of Congress again. And I don't think at that point it would work. Demond, you got updates on uh, some of the bargain bin free agents in baseball? Who do the A's get? By the way, I said Congress. I, I didn't mean Congress. State legislature. What's the latest update, Demond? Who do they spend money on? I, man, I haven't seen anything lately, Steve. Exactly. I was going to say, like, you, if you know someone, you tell no, me. You'd be no, breaking news to me. No, there's just there's this guy signing every day. This is the period of time right before spring training where almost everyone is signing a one-year deal except for a couple of Boris guys who are going to get three, four, and five-year deals, and they're going to wait it out. But the rest of them, it's one-year deals. You can actually augment your team, your young team, with some decent players. Or, Adam, I'll ask you. In our final minute here in this hour, is that the wrong approach? Should we actually, should fans of the Las Vegas A's, should you actually root for the A's to win 20 games a year? Well, as you, you know, as we've talked about a little bit, I've I've been for, if you have any player that has any ability whatsoever on this roster, you trade them for our sake. Like, if, if the team's not starting here until 2028, 2029, 2030? Yeah. I just want... All 18-year-old kids who might be playing well at you know, 24 years old when they come here. Baseball did put in some safeguards, which they had to, to make sure that you try to compete. And if you don't, then guess what? Rev share ends. And the A's have violated the trust of the other owners so much that now they're in jeopardy of not getting you know their true market. Well, it's not their true market size, but they're in jeopardy of not getting rev share if they can't meet certain standards. So you well, can't do a complete tank, which, good move. On the part of the big boy owners around Major League Baseball, enough of paying the bill for this squad that, frankly, the organization doesn't seem to know what it's doing.